ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is It's Monday and another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I uh, hope you've had a great weekend. I hope you're enjoying your Labor Day. But there's things to talk about in the world of sports. We're going to do that with my man, uh, Marlon Favorite. It's a Marlon Monday, and these are always special. Big Fave, 504, how you doing, my brother? What up, D. Grubb, baby? Uh, happy, happy Labor Day. <laughs> yes, uh, we have been laboring. And yes. uh, so <laughs> it doesn't stop. It does not stop. It's a 24-7, 365. Right. You had to travel to uh, Lafayette this week to work, huh? You did a little bit of radio out in uh, 337. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to keep that audience growing and, and introduce more people. So um, I think that the feedback's been really good. So I, I think that they, uh, they're taking to me a little bit. A little bit. It's a little yeah. bit. A little bit different over in Lafayette. But they were cool people. They're cool. Uh, a little more conservative, but cool. 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 Um, now, the biggest story, yes, the cuts were the thing, but the biggest thing over the weekend was the Jadavion Clowney saga. Um, he ends up signing with Tennessee. He gets $15 million for one year. The Saints were roughly offering $10 million. So, hey, I'm not going to blame a man for taking a 50% increase over your salary over what the other team is offering. At this stage in your life, Man, that's that's a big, that's a large amount of money, especially not knowing where the NFL market is going to be next year. You got to take it when you can get it. Um, so I don't blame him for that. Uh, but a lot of folks were surprised that it played out that way. I think it sometimes it just comes down to that. He just had to take the better financial opportunity. The Saints did everything they could, but the money wasn't equal. It wasn't uh, ten and fifteen million dollars to the average person. Like, oh, what's the difference? But to a, a, a first rounder, a guy that is, as you mentioned, to the tail end of his career, it's important to have have that that lump sum of money on the front end. You don't know how um, the fit will go with a team, and if a team, hey, hey, it's basically anytime a team, and this is the same thing for Leonard Fournette. Anytime a team gives you a one year deal, it's a one year prove it. It automatically turns into that. We want to invest money into you, but we want to see <clears throat> if it's worth our while. And for a guy like Clowney, it, it's – you look at New Orleans and you look at Tennessee. These are two teams you can't lose either way. Both teams are going to compete in the playoffs, pay, playoff caliber teams, and could, and could potentially uh, compete for a Super Bowl. They just read up uh, Derrick Henry, uh, Ryan Tannehill. He's just got a new contract. Now you bring in a guy like Jadavion Clowney to give you that that edge rush. So I know New Orleans really wanted him, but uh, ultimately they had to make the decision to not go over that $10 million threshold. And shoot, man, for him, congratulations to Clowney, man, getting that big bread, baby. Hello, somebody. Right? I mean, and, and you know, as a defensive lineman, it could be gone in an instant. Your knee, somebody roll up on the back of you. Uh, and as a defensive end, your value changes so quickly and because he doesn't put up these giant sack numbers. And we talked about this last week about what he brings besides just sack numbers, but the average fan is conditioned 
to think about sacks, 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 pressures, run defense, all those things he is exceptional at as a defensive end. So to be not a great sack number person really doesn't bother me. This dude is still one of the elite defensive ends in the league. He is. And experience matters. Being a veteran matters, particularly in a league like this. Um, You have those teams that are right there, Tennessee, New Orleans. Those were two good fits for for Clowney because those two two teams need a guy who's – um, consistently getting double-digit sacks when healthy, and he does provide that. So if you look at what Tennessee faced towards the tail end of the uh, the actual uh, season last year versus what they faced this year, uh, you, you'll see the major difference. I think Vrabel's connection to having Vrabel coached him um, with the Texans, that's, that, that's something, too. I can get right. you, you. I played well under you. I like you. I know you. Yes, the Saints have a great culture. I don't think Clowney had any, you know, disagreement with the Saints culture, but that has to play a part in it. I already know what this guy is like. And that, that and on top of the money, that has to help too. It helped out tremendously. Uh, familiarity always plays a role. He was a defensive coordinator at Houston then, uh, Coach Mike Ver- uh, Vernable. Always scrubbed his name. I used to do that sometimes when I was with the Patriots too. Uh, but but Coach uh, Mike, he, he does a – he's a good motivator for a defensive coach, um, defensive mind coach, uh, now um, a head coach at Tennessee. He provides that. He provides uh, motivation, um, experience. Uh, you know, he's able to relate to his players. So when he was with Clowney and Texans. So I, I, th- I do think – if if New Orleans would have matched, he may have picked New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I do think with the way our team is, it's much like the, the how attractive our offense mm-hmm. is. Right. For a defensive end, like, man, I come in there, I get my sacks. I know they're going to run up the points. Like a guy like, like Clowney, he knows that he, he remembers and competing at practice too, getting better, going against Ryan Ramchak at practice every day. He's a guy that shut down their D-line last year. So, I mean, you, you, you look at the combination of being older, trying to get better, but at the same time uh, providing some uh, winning. You know, at this point, he, he's paid, let's be honest. But, you know, at this at this point of the game, it's time to get that hardware for him. True, true. And I, I, but like you said, either way, I don't think the Saints have to worry that they didn't end up with him. You would have loved to have had him for depth. That's a fantastic thing to have. But my point to folks has been, are you any less confident in this team that it's a top two, three, four team in the NFL today? Because they didn't sign. You didn't have Jadavion Clowney already. So you didn't have to think it until this past weekend that that was even a possibility. So before that, were your expectations were that they were supposed to get to the Super Bowl? Does that change without Jadavion Clowney? I don't think so. It doesn't. It kind of reminds me of the Josh Norman deal. You remember that one time Drew Brees was willing to restructure his contract if they had a shot at getting Josh Norman because they really needed a lockdown corner at the time. I I don't think this situation was that, but it's very similar with with Clowney. If we get him, that would be great. He would be a great addition to our team, but I do think the New Orleans Saints are comfortable with where they're at with their defense. It's one thing to have a skilled guy, but even with Clowney coming coming in, it had to be a new guy to get adjusted to the locker room, get adjusted to the meeting room, uh, 
learn some plays, develop some team chemistry. All of that was going to have to happen. Now, of course, him and Cam know each other, Pro Bowl. And, you know, he, he knows some of the guys on the team, but it, it's still an entire culture when, in regards to making sure you have the uh, right amount of guys around. So I, I, I'm excited to see how he looks in that Tennessee defense. That should be very interesting. Uh, but, but at the same the time, New Orleans good. Yeah, they, the they fire. Um, let's look at the Saints cuts. There were some surprises uh, for folks. Um, let's go through each one of the ones that, are, that are, have been most off, often mentioned. Number one was Mario Edwards. Uh, he gets cut and picked up immediately. How surprised were you that the Saints let him go? Well, I think that they're so confident with who they have right now. They believe in Trey Henderson. Uh, Marcus Davenport is – he must have had showed them something in, in training camp for them to feel comfortable letting Mario Edwards go. He had a – he signed a one-year deal with um, – he signed already. Yeah, he Buffalo. got snapped up. I'm trying to remember with who right now. But Buffalo, huh? I don't think, I think he went back to Buffalo. I'm trying to remember where. But neither. I'll look for it while you talk. Go ahead. Keep going. Sure, yeah. But but uh, but but back to, you know, the way their defense is. They're He's in Chicago. That, I'm he, sorry. He's in Chicago. Chicago. I knew it was, it, was, it was something. By the way, Mitchell Trubisky won the starting job in Chicago. <laughs> How bad is Nick Foles, man? If you can't oh, win, man, if you bad. can't beat out Gardner Minshew <laughs> and Mitchell Trubisky in back-to-back seasons, it's it's a wrap. And for the for, uh, just a quick aside, you see dudes like Josh McC- uh, McCown get another job. You see Mike Glennon on somebody's practice squad. You see these dudes keep stay hanging around. Jo- um, um, Josh Rosen got cut again, but he gets another job. He signs immediately. Ain't nobody calling cap, dog. Ain't nobody calling cap. Yeah, and that still bothers me, and it and it bothers a lot of us. Here you have a guy that um, <clears throat> he really resonates well in off in any offense, especially in this in this genre. But uh, and congratulations to Alex Smith, um, but for making the roster. That's a a, sto- a comeback story for him mm-hmm. to make the fifty three man roster and didn't have a leg. But unfortunately, that's still insult to injury to Colin Kaepernick, that uh, a guy that. He essentially broke his leg almost off, gets a, a second opportunity. And that's nothing against Alice. He's first-round uh, talent. He's He is good. And I saw that documentary on ESPN+. Plus. That was gruesome at times to watch. Gruesome. Beautiful family. I don't, I don't yeah, know why he put – honestly, I don't know if I could have put myself through all of that to tr- put myself back in jeopardy of it happening again. That to me, just that, but that's why I don't play. That's why I don't. He play. must be extremely headstrong, though, because even as a formal player, um, I've bounced back from injuries before, but that one was gruesome. So he still, I, I know he still has that threshold to go through. Um, if Dwayne Haskins doesn't get it together, he, he may get there quicker than we expect, but he wanted to get hit. So he might have gotten hit. He may have asked a couple of guys to stay after just to get hit, just to feel it. Um, it still ain't a game hit. You know what I'm saying? There's hit. nothing like a game hit when, yeah, when everybody's emotions are high and it's just coming off. at you and it's just that whole difference of you, you – at least when you say, hey, well, hit me a couple times, you know it's coming. In the game, you never know when that hit is coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that one when they get you behind, you, the quarterback is looking to his right and you come from their left. That you thousand, know, you that felt thousand, it. Huh? You know it. You know you felt it when you put it in your 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 uh, chest into the back of some quarterback and crunched him. Yeah, 
No, I will. I will give every coach I ever played with that credibility. I never hit anybody in their back. I always now I've, I've had some tackles while like as a side, but I've never had like that a, a full blindside hit from the quarterback. I mean, it says a lot of that stuff because I'm rushing up the middle anyway. So, but uh, it, it, it I've got blindside before. I, I can remember pursuing. We was playing Kentucky. <clears throat> this had to have been twenty. 2006, maybe we playing Kentucky at home, and I'm and I'm rolling. I'm I'm, I'm chasing down a guy that's out the blue. Walk out! Well, I was seeing stars for real. <laughs> I was like, oh, "What today is Thursday?" But yeah. <laughs> took you out. Who was it? What position? Um, it was a, it was I think it was a tackle. It was a tackle for okay. Kentucky. I, honestly, I forget who it was that got me because. I'm really running, and I'm my my pops always tell me that as a player, even when I was in park ball, run with your head on a swivel. So I th- I thought I did my full swivel game, and all of a sudden I'm right down. Oh, wow. Well, at least it wasn't a running yeah, back so. or a wide receiver, bro. At least that you can't have one of them Heinz Ward moments when he blows some dude up. You can't have one of those. <laughs> um, Benny Fowler was a surprise to me. He had had a really really good camp. I know people thought Austin Carr would make it, but I thought with Fowler, I was surprised little Jordan Humphrey didn't make the squad too. Uh, but both of those guys seem to have really, really big camps. And their size and their relationships with Breeze all seem to be right there. Yeah, those r- relationships there. Yeah, little John Humphrey was the one I was surprised because I honestly thought he was going to get cut last year, but they kept him. So I'm like, oh, oh he has potential. They like him. And I think he may have been activated a couple of times last year. Yeah, yeah, one uh, catch for the season, but yeah, right. That's 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 still good. It's one more um, than I'm gonna have. <laughs> you and I both, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Butler, yeah, that's another one that 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 surprised me. I thought that because they have Harris, so I, I think they they feel comfortable with their hybrid receiver because it, you know, and then. Harris has uh, return potential, took one to the house last year. So the only surprise, it was two. It was Mario Edwards and uh, Lil John Humphrey. I, I didn't think those guys were going to get cut. The one that got me, uh, well, there's two more for me. Because Keith Washington had been lights out mm. in camp. Yeah, I think he had was seven or eight picks in camp. It, he was balling. And I thought he was going to make it somehow. I don't know. He hasn't been signed to the practice squad, so he might be get snatched up by somebody else because he was really, really good in camp. And, and then the other is Patrick. The squad, huh? huh? Lil John Humphrey. He signed to the practice squad, huh? I didn't see I'm going to go yet. double check. I, I go think double check that. But he, Lil, John, Lil Jordan, yeah, he might be on the practice squad, but I don't know if they had signed Keith yet. Um, no. But the other one was Patrick Omeme. Because Patrick Omeme played a lot of games last season for the Saints. And with the, with the young guys on that line and the potential for injury, I thought that they would keep him around, but they didn't. You know who else I want to ask you about? I saw they released Cameron Time. You thought they were going to keep him around? Or they feel that comfortable with Ruiz and the Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised that they cut Tom out of that group. Because, I mean, you think, yeah, once they added Ruiz, you have Easton on board, too, and you don't have to worry about Pete now. He'll be ready to go in week one. You, I think that they felt like they had enough depth. I get it. I mean, and you know, you know, like we talked about before, once the season starts, there's going to be a lot of linemen moving around left and right 
as teams adjust and figure out what they have and don't have because they haven't seen anybody play against another team yet. So people, I think, you know, there's going to be still be adjustments week, you know, week in and week out. Like, and, and as we talked about the last couple of times we spoke, it's just going to be a lot of adjustments early on as you try to tweak that roster in live time. Right. Um, you have, okay, so they have their roster, for, for the most part, New Orleans roster is all put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a little off, off subject here, but I, I did my fantasy draft last night, and I saw a draft of one of my players. He's on a COVID protocol. So with these with the COVID protocol, I'm assuming that guys like Cameron Tom, if he stays healthy or in the bubble, mm-hmm. some, or, or some team may pick him up just to have him on their team and if they need a guy that has some – because he was in New Orleans for like two years with playing time. So that's cool for – I don't think he'll stay uh, not signed for long. No, same with a Maymay. Somebody's going to grab him. You don't take a dude who played in 14 games for one of the best offenses in the NFL and leave him on the street. Somebody right. is going to take a shot because you got a lot of teams out there that know they have bad offensive lines. Cincinnati's still looking for offensive line help. Uh, Carolina's still looking for off- – Tampa is still looking for offensive line help. Detroit. De- yeah, Detroit, absolutely. So there's a lot of teams. I'm sure New England would even like to look around for some more offensive line help because you got to protect Cam. You don't, wanna, you don't want that dude getting hurt. So, right. I mean, I think a lot of teams, you're absolutely right, are going to be continuing to look for the right people. And with those COVID protocols, you're going to have to have somebody who can step in really quickly and understand a playbook. So vets are going to get a lot of looks if they got cut right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be the young guys who get called first to me, unless it's a bottom of the roster job. But if a starter gets sick, you call in a vet because you need somebody who can come in and learn your system fast. Exactly. It, it'll be a group. veteran. It'll be a veteran. And I noticed that when I was bouncing around the league, uh, when I got picked up by the Patriots, uh, I also got picked up with a veteran defensive lineman too. So, of course, he was on the active roster. Now, he ended up getting cut back after two weeks, and I stayed. But for at that time in the season, they needed a guy just in case they needed to have active, someone who had some, you know, experience game plan time. And he provided that. So, yeah, it's crazy how this stuff works. Yeah, I mean, because you see, they st- and now because you can stash vets on practice squad, you see guys who had six, seven, eight years of experience sitting on practice squad. I was seeing squad. that. I was seeing that. Is that, is that something I missed in the new CBA or something? They changed it just for this year. They said you could put vets on Corona. the practice squad. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't doubt it. I was looking at some of those names. It's crazy. That's why I think that influenced some of these cuts too is because you knew with certain guys, you know how it is. Hey, you coming back? We you, you're number fifty four off off fifty three, so we need you. So hang <laughs> around on the practice squad, yeah. and you'll be up here in a week. Just hang around. Like, doing? like little Jordan Humphrey, someone like him, he'll he'll have a situation where, say for instance, hypothetically speaking, the same starting receiver catches the corona got set up. They're just gonna activate him. <laughs> He's already on a team getting tested. Or 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 it depends on the matchup. If you say, hey, this is one where we might be able to exploit him. Oh yeah. When, I mean, when you do it, if you could, if the NFL allowed that a shuttle type system where you could change your personnel from week to week like that, I think that would be really good. That would be yeah. something that would really be flexible. Oh, we need six defensive linemen this week. Oh, this week we need nine because we want to rotate more bodies. Whatever. You should be able to do that. I mean, yeah. yeah. But you know, we'll see. Uh, two big extensions over the weekend. We talk about money. Deshaun Watson, four years. 160 mil. Um, 
And then Tredavious White, homeboy, uh, gets a big, big extension as well, which certainly Marcus Lattimore – I mean, I'm not Mar- – Marshawn Lattimore is over there looking at like, all right, I know where the bar is. Y'all to let me know. I know where the bar is. <laughs> Well, I'll start. I'll start with uh, with Tre'Davious White. Uh, what he what he's done the last few years in the league, it, it deserved a re up. I mean, his lockdown percentage. Uh, he's as much as he's tried in his speed, but that just goes to show you those LSU DBs, man. They those guys are ready to go. Corey Raymond has really done a good job over the years, just really developing those guys for the league. So that that extension didn't surprise me at all. Was well, four years, fifty-five million guaranteed contract worth like seventy million. Now, Deshaun Watson, I thought his family zooming him and the emotion that he had said a lot because it. Anytime you're a first-round talent and you prove that, especially at that quarterback position, that you deserve the re-up before your time, that says a lot about your performance. And that kid has worked and earned over the last few years. Have some uh, Will Foot Ful- He's on my uh, Will Phil- um, Fuller's on my uh, fantasy receiving crew. He on the bench this week, but uh, he- he's gonna act a fool. I might have to switch him out, but I, I got Michael Thomas too this year, so I- it's going down. But we'll we'll talk fantasy another show. I know. Hello, <laughs> but uh, I- I'm excited for those two guys, uh, guys who earned it, and uh, boy Tre'Davious, boy. He gonna be in Buffalo some more years. <laughs> yeah, he will. And um, the thing for me about Deshaun is, I love the fact that he took a four-year deal because that puts the Texans squarely under the gun. You better fix that team after all they've done to get rid of talent around him, throwing away Deshaun Hopkins. I mean, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. And giving away the running game, giving away Teron Matthew on the defensive side, just letting him walk out the door, letting players go, letting Clowney go, all these things that the Texans have done to mess up over the last few years. Never, never went, they don't even have, they haven't had an 11 win season in the last okay. five years. If for this is for Deshaun, he got paid before the cap goes down. And he's got the flexibility to get out of Houston and the pressure to put it on him in two years that he wants to go instead of having to wait five, six, being stuck on a contract. And he's still at his age able to get one more giant contract before he uh, thinks about retiring, all things being equal. Yeah, he, he's, he's in a good position, and he does put uh, Houston under the gun. You get rid of one of his better weapons and Deshaun Hopkins. That was a uh, huge – you mentioned Clowney. I wasn't even thinking on the defensive side of the ball. But you know what else surprised me? I figured Houston would have been one of the teams that jump on Lennon Fournette. You would have the thought fact so. That they need a solid running game. They don't have David a, Johnson is hasn't had a good year since he got paid. Right. That's all I like I figured you just read Deshaun up, you do a one or two year deal with Leonard, give him some money on the front end and, and make it do what it do. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I just I didn't get it. I don't think Bill O'Brien has done a good job in Houston. Um, that's why I, I, Sean. I, again, this is one of those situations I'm never going to begrudge a man for taking his money, dude. They throw forty million a year at you in this business. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take all take that guarantee. <laughs> yeah, all you can get in this business in pro football, 
get every last nickel you can get. I'm not mad at any dude who says I'm here to get the money because you are giving up so much for it. So to get it all, get it all, <laughs> get, get it, it all. Go get your money. I ain't never mad at nobody. <laughs> um, <laughs> you talked about the Alex Smith thing, and uh, that's just that is going to be one of the most interesting stories to watch in the league this whole year. Physically, like you said, physically the and, and mentally that challenge of thinking that you could have lost an appendage, let, which you never would walk again that way without a prosthetic or something. Um, but to go from that to I am potentially – I'm the number two quarterback in Washington right now. No, the emergency he's quarterback, the, excuse me. He, yeah, he, he's an emergency quarterback. I heard someone earlier say – Go ahead and give him comeback kid of uh, kid of the year award just by making that roster, uh, which says a lot about what he has in between his ears. Um, I'm pretty sure that played a major role in it. And just anytime a man could bounce back like that and have that much work ethic to where you bounce all the way back to where you're a, a backup quarterback in the NFL, that says a lot. You know, he had an amazing career, I thought, at uh, Kansas City. I mean, you draft Patrick Mahomes, you, you got to make a deal. They made the deal the Redskins with him. So he's an interesting story. Um, they had to have some type of backup veteran. They, they did because Dwayne Haskins still obviously had a lot of growing to go, uh, go um, in his game. But, boy, I'll tell you something else. They get rid of AP. AP in Detroit. Yeah. He's going to finish up his career where Barry was. Huh? That's legendary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. And uh, we'll see because – I think Matthew Stafford, if he's healthy, he's still – there may not be anybody with a pure arm like Matthew Stafford's. Like, he can make any throw in, the, in this game. Any throw. Any throw. But he has never been given the balance, you know, of a running game to protect him. He's never had a defense that was dominant – the last best chance he had was remember when Detroit went to Dallas and got messed up on that pass interference call. Yeah. Um, you know, a few years back. But they've just never they've never taken care of him. And that's one of the toughest dudes. Like I'm sure you know in league circles, Matthew Stafford has played with pain his whole career. I've seen that dude play with broken ribs. I've seen that dude play um with dislocated shoulder. I've seen, I mean he don't. He, he's out there, and people respect him for that. Uh, he's beloved in that, that locker room because he shows up every week. He just gets up. But last year, he fractured his back and wanted to keep playing, and the team had to tell him no. So, I mean, that's, that, that was he, – he, he gives it all for Detroit. I'll give him that. Well, first and foremost, shouts out to the class of 09, man. Me and Matt was at the Combine together. You know, so to stick around the league that long says a lot about you and with one team to believe in you. It's been a lot of, uh, I would like to say, fairly well to great quarterbacks coming to the league in the last 12, 11 years. Uh, and for him to be a starting quarterback, you got to keep in mind, Patrick Mahomes came in, Lamar Jackson came in, and you've impressed, um, you know, three head coaches that you are the guy. But you nailed it. He either has a running game and don't have the O-line. He's a, He either has an O-line but don't have the running game. He either has Megatron or a bus. He'll get a golden tape. 
he's never had that complete package that Drew Brees has had, that Patrick Mahomes had in last season, that we've seen Russell Wilson have. So uh, now that they have Adrian Peterson now, um, a receiving core offensive line has made some improvements. Uh, and, and, and they're doing – they don't have that. You know, they had Nick Fairley, yep. you know, Sue up the middle. And, yep. you know, they had one of the best fronts, but they didn't have an O-line and a receiving core. So, um, hopefully – Detroit's one of those teams you feel sorry for because, you know, one of the, our greatest running backs of all time played for them. But they have no hardware to show, man. It's crazy. Bruh, like, in my lifetime, yeah, I got to see – I'm a Lions fan, born in Detroit. In my lifetime, I got to see uh, Barry, and I got to see Calvin Johnson, uh, two of the, the greatest at their position in the history of this league. And, yeah, nothing to show for it. Not one – I got one playoff win. One playoff win in my life. In my life. In 45 years, I've seen the Lions win one playoff game. That's insane. That's it's insane. Every other team in the league got more wins than that in the playoffs than, than the Lions. Got one. Name a team that ain't at least got two. Everybody got at least two. Yeah. Everybody leave. Everybody, Everybody got at least two. Everybody else got at least two. Cincinnati has at least two. The Browns has at least two. In my life, yep. In 45 years of my – even the Cardinals been to a Super Bowl. Right. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah, that's even damn, the, man, even though the Browns ain't been to a Super Bowl, at least they've been to AFC Championship games. It's cold in the D, baby. It's cold in the D. It's cold. Got it's cold. no place to eat. Hey, I, I will I will say this though, the Pistons was nice. Yeah, yeah. Pistons was nice. Yeah. See, I didn't get to Grand see those Hill Pistons. Days. I ain't get to see those Pistons. I, when I was in Detroit, Dick Vitale was coaching the Pistons, and it was terrible. Oh. So yeah, I didn't get the good Pistons. I left. Oh, man. We left in '79. So when we got here, um, I got here just in time for the Saints to go one and fifteen. That was my first year in New Orleans. Um, is I was a kid, and I remember they went one and fifteen that year. That was the 1980, and that year the Pistons were terrible. You know the. Lions were terrible. Everything, my whole room was filled with teams that didn't win nothing when I was a kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just, oh, man. The Saints, the Michigan, it was like nothing we could win, nothing. I didn't have that single team up there that was winning anything in my childhood. So, so I know you really enjoyed the Super Bowl and LSU and all their success because this is your second home, Louisiana. So at least you get a little bit of winning in one of your hometown. And, you know, of course, I got my in the car people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get the car too. That's right. Yeah, I get to yeah, live with that's right. you know state champs there, so we get to put that there. I get uh, that always boosts me. They they're they're good every year, so you I don't have to worry childhood. about childhood. That's right. You know, so. <laughs> and I got so many friends who still, I still keep in contact with who played and all that stuff. So, um, man, what about your boy Clyde? It was hilarious. Took that job in Kansas City, and uh, he's gonna be starting on Thursday night. I'm happy about it. I know it was something that uh that Demari, excuse me, that uh Patrick Mahomes really wanted, and it just shows a story of triumph, never giving up. Not saying that uh you're you're small, you won't ever amount to nothing. You know what I think about, and, and congratulations to Clyde that was there too. I think about 2016. 
I was this early 17. It was one of either in the 16, early 17. LSU was working on their um, their indoor, and I was out there for something. And I remember going in the locker room, and it was Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards LL working out. And it was on the, the not inside the locker room, but on the inside the uh, they had like this little wooden build off inside the indoor because they were working on the inside, so they would do their little weights there. Mm-hmm. And I remember these two guys just sitting in front of me, uh, standing in front of me talking. I was just told both of them, hey, y'all know y'all got next, right? I told them just like that because at this time, Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette are just these phenomenal running backs, and these these guys are sitting back there. So then Daryl, Daryl's a close friend of mine. He gets his hair cut. Me and him had shared the same barber, and uh, he's around a lot. Daryl gives back every time we have him come, you know, do some stuff for the youth. He's there. And he gets his opportunity, and he goes undrafted, and then he gets playing time, and he's active in the NFL. He wins a Super Bowl, and year, it, uh, <laughs> in year two, and it's just this this beautiful story. These guys who weren't supposed to be these big time LSU running backs, and it's like the reverse effect, right? You get mm-hmm. we had so much potential in Leonard Fournette and Darius guys, but there's a dark cloud and a silver line for these two guys who overlooked Daryl Williams and now Clyde that was hella. Now you telling me this kid won a starting job at LSU had a, a record breaking season and did earns a start job with, with the world with champions Chiefs, yeah. with the world champions. Are you serious? Like, is this real news? You see what I'm saying? Like, so man, yeah, shout out him. to those two dudes bro. That's for, just cr- for him. Like said, two years ago when he took over as starter and people were, and I was among them, who said he's a good back, but I don't know if he's an SEC starter. And I know I said it. I said, I don't know if he's a starter. He proved everybody wrong. Everybody. Because it wasn't just me. And he knows it. It wasn't just me. He knows it was hundreds of people, thousands of people that doubted him and his ability. But as you said, and you've told plenty of folks before, Nobody in that locker room ever doubted Clyde Edwards. They, they believed in that cat from freshman year on. It's something about working past that threshold. It's just everybody possess it, right? Like, think about Iron Man Mike Tyson. You think about boxers over the years like Muhammad Ali. These guys got these reaches. Mike Tyson, they had no reach, but he developed getting in somebody's stuff. And now he's probably the, the most feared boxer of all time. You have, you know, these stories of these little guys um, that wasn't supposed to make, like Trenton Holiday. Trenton was like all of 5'8", but he passed with his – he was just so fast. Now he has NFL return records. So it, it's just Clyde – I put him in that category of guys, like guys who wasn't supposed to be, but they are. You know, I, I love it. From from one underdog to the next, I love stories like this, bro. For real, I mean, I'm rooting for him. And by the way, I'm a Kansas City fan. You know why I like the Cowboys too? I don't know why. I just I just like them since I was a kid. But Kansas City employed me longer than any other NFL team. All right, I rock That's with them. Salute to Kansas City. And it's a great football town. And it it's a great football is. town. And they got some decent barbecue. And they got some nice shop outlets. And it's a decent organization. That's yeah, cool. I like it. Kansas City was fun. All told, 43 former LSU Tigers on NFL rosters. 43. Wow. Are we the most still? <laughs> who has the most? Um, I, I, 
think it's still Ohio State with the most. I think. Well, I think this year's Ohio State. I got. I don't know if they had had the final tallies, but uh, if they had been changed, but I know it's forty three for LSU. Um, but that's an. It, it's just. It's it's an incredible thing to to continue to to do for LSU. It's a it's mm-hmm. a that they're still there all the time, every year. Um, just putting for Alabama uh, was number one with fifty three. That's I I figured it was them, and Ohio State behind us, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. got like forty one or something. They're in the mid forties. They're in the four, yeah. I think Ohio State this year's at forty one. So I think so. I got to check for Ohio State, but I know Alabama's got the most this year. So, but it's I mean you're right there, and that's the thing. Right there every year though. Every year, every championship year. or no, right there every year. And and now you're in a position where LSU has the ability to even more so generate that kind of talent. Um, here's something I wanted to ask you before I get into something else. But this, this thought was something that I thought about. And I just want to get your opinion on it. With the way things are going in college sports, the fact that you are seeing more challenges to the status quo, the fact that players are pushing for more rights, I think it's inevitable that at some point there's going to be a players' union. If that's the case, doesn't it just make sense for the Power Five to just go ahead and make the players' employees give them the option of going to school and get out of this thing so that you – because I think it, ultimately it's going to be the, the survival of college football is going to be based on whether or not you can keep these kids in a system that doesn't pay them really. Like even the licensing is not going to be enough. It's not – or the protections of health. As people get more and more cognizant and want their rights to be protected from injury, from the guys who don't go to pro and have you know debilitating injuries long-term, who suffer brain damage, all those things – I think it's I think it's headed that way. May not happen tomorrow, but I think that's where we're going. It needs to happen. That that system has to. It's time for it to be broken up. Right now, it, it, and while we're in the process of breaking up systems, that's another one. I'll start this off by saying my LSU experience was wonderful. It was top grade A from my living arrangements to the treatments to you know, just uh, dental and and stuff, food, living arrangements. Here's the scary part about what NCAA football, Power 5 NCAA football, how it really enables these athletes. Think about it like this. Everybody don't really view it from this perspective, right? You have these guys that come in as 17, sometimes 18-year-old high school kids. And you give them everything, everything, living situation, room and board, books, where their peers are working for everything, having to work two jobs just to, just to make sure you can make enough money to pay your books, you know, staying in the dorms to try to. So all of this stuff is happening, right, where the football players aren't getting real life skills right away. You're not getting it at all, right? So you're in this situation. And then year four or five is over. You don't get drafted. You don't make it to this league. And now you try football for another year or two. And then there's a boom. Reality hits. It's like a big punch in the face. Pow. And for the guys that's accustomed 
or had some type of life skill training, whether it's in their households or at, at, a, at another institution, they do well. They know which jobs to get. They either have the relationships and then they're able to accustom or um, become accustomed to the everyday general population of living. Well, a lot of these guys, and I'm, I'm saying you get everything. You don't even have to think for yourself. Only thing you have to do is focus in on school and making sure you're hitting that stuff all right. And that's that's the piece that, that I think financial literacy needs to be incorporated. I think that um, uh, outside of financial literacy, li- uh, life skills should, should be uh, incorporated. I do think we should be viewed as employees, right? Because think about it. These student athletes are generating so much money for the schools and you're not building anything. You're really working as a student athlete. And going to school should be something that's 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 an option because school is not for everybody. Right. Now and I would the go schools ahead, I'm sorry. wanna have the schools wanna have great football programs. And instead of playing this game of bringing kids that A, you know are not academically qualified for your institution in some cases, and you're not going to do the things because you you don't all if that's all you're focused on, and we know that happens all across college football. We've seen it at the finest institutions. It's not just uh, uh, the bad, the, the, the little schools in the corners. No, we've seen it at the highest levels. Notre Dame, Michigan State. We see LSU's got in trouble. Alabama's got in trouble. Florida. Every if you're a big program, the the probability is that you don't cross the line a couple times. Because of the product, man. So, so that's what I'm saying. So let's just yeah. end that and take it all out of the dark and say these are employees. Pay them some money. You could get more sponsorship dollars in that regard because now you're not playing this game at all anymore. You're not, nobody's pretending that this is amateurism. But you give those guys the opportunity and you say, you could come here and focus on football and utilize our brand and our teaching to bolster yourself, but you're going to get paid and all those things. And that's all you got to do is come here and play ball. If you want to go to school, we make that optional for you too. But you don't have to go to school while you're playing football. Your this times these times are for you to play, you know, for school, so that they don't have that pressure. And if you do yeah. that for those kids, if if the the football season is the fall and the spring, and they just do school in the summer for those football players, man, tell me that you coming out of high school. If I said those are your, that's your option now. You believe in that? I'm I'm gonna make it to the league. I have that kind of potential. And if I just focus on that, with my education still available to me. You know what I'm saying? And then you say afterwards, now that we are living in the 21st century, you don't even have to be on campus. We can do online learning for you after your eligibility as a football player is concluded. So, I mean, you can still it, earn your degree. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because, okay, so it is this. And it, it, I see what you're saying with the pressure, too. Like having to perform as a student athlete. And I remember us taking the baseline test when we first got to LSU just to see what we had. And I, I, I got diagnosed with ADHD, right? Don't know if I had it or not, but it was helpful to have a note taker. But having to keep guys eligible so they can play as opposed to – because think about it. Look at the ratio of what's happening. What's the percentage of guys that actually do well outside of college? It's very low because some of the guys kind of fall down this dark hole because you never made it as an athlete, but you put all this work in, which you say amateur ball, but have nothing to show for. And or give guys areas – sit down with student athletes and really dig in and see what it is they're interested in doing – 
instead of forcing classes on them in, in terms of cur curriculum, yep. have them pick up life skills and what they want to do. I would have still went to school for the same thing. I like what we're doing right now, so I would have wanted to fur further my learning with this. I learned more w with this after I retired than I did in school. I had it in school. We I took courses, public speaking, you know, but you don't have time to be on the campus TV station. You don't oh. have time to do those kinds of things when you have workouts and film sessions and practice and optional workouts that are not really optional and study hall and all these things that you're showing up. You can't get involved in the things that boost your career while you're in college. You can't go and be an intern at a TV station and sit there and do all that work for eight hours a day during the year. You can't do it. You, there's no way for you to do it. None at all. And, and, and to add on to what you're saying, I would have loved to do that. Honestly, I forced that. Like, I was on Tiger TV. I uh, did their music, their background music for them for, like, three, four years. You know, working with, like, the, the Gordy, uh, Chris Gordy's of the world, doing just interviews and, and stuff like that. Them recording me rapping and doing stuff like that. Like, that helped me for now. When I can't play football to make, make the money, I can make money in this career. And that should be pushed more than just, hey, let's take all these excruciating classes. Look, for the guys, I would have probably wanted to still graduate personally because that's something that a personal goal of mine. Um, I would have rather it be in a different format. But at the very end of the day, I, I saw why it wasn't really that necessary. Like, what are we learning here? Like, what most of your basic learning and lesson skills happen in high school or supposed to happen in middle school and high school. Everything else after that, you really need to be preparing, preparing for life. Uh, back to the financial literacy, how to balance a check, checkbook, how to budget, you know, how to Entrepreneurism. Invest. Entrepreneurism, how to, how to, you know, go to the bank and get a loan. See, that's a whole nother mm -hmm. story because all of y'all can, why not help the product? You go, you go to the hood to get the product because you know that's where the best ball is at, but no one is forcing or, or, or really trying to put these guys in the best position to be successful. Right. You, you have guys that are very inquisitive like myself. I'm going to ask. You heard me? I'm going to say, hey, man, how I do this? How I do that? I remember Michael Barnett got on me my last year. like, Marlon, you told me, why you didn't tell me you was a whole rapper, man? I didn't know this. And, and then he did a story on it. Like, like, like this was after we played Ole Miss. My Mike senior. is one of the best like, in the business. Year. I love Mike Barnett. I love that. cool, dude. man. That's my dog. Man, it's, that's the I just want to see because, like, you, let's say I'm a kid who just wants a two year degree because I want to learn something technical, and I, and I want to, but I'm still a five star talent. But right. I don't want to get a bachelor of arts degree. I'm here to get a. I, I just need a two year. You know what I'm saying? So if that's my goal, then let's make these options available for athletes. And each one of these schools has the ability to do that, the Power Five. Every last one of them has the ability. They are not required to be members of the NCAA. And they could certainly find a way to make the money without the NCAA. They don't need the NCAA. SEC ha can have its own. ESPN is not going to get rid of the SEC network if they left. The Big Ten network is still going to exist. Because those are not owned by the NCAA. Those are worth their broadcast partners. And those are the biggest markets in the country for football still. And I don't think that if any of those Power Five conferences, if all five of them said we leaving together and we're going to start our own thing and it's just going to be a business, I think we would all 
be better served by that because the hypocrisy goes away. You don't have to keep lying to these kids. We don't have to keep pretending. And you can just be up. And I think it changes it going all the way back to high school because now you don't have to worry about social promotion either. Hmm. You start dealing with social promotion for athletes and just moving them on because you don't want to mess up their careers. Well, now it's not about that. They're going to get to play. So you have the time to educate them. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead and do that because they're going to be brought on on a skill level. And if they can play, the school no longer has to use their grades as part of what's getting them in. They're getting in because they are employed by the institution, which means that then all those things, those protections are there for both the university and the athlete too. You have to, you don't have to worry about the cities becoming these strange places where the athletes at times exist in a, in a world that's all their own on a college campus. And that, I think that hurts the athlete. I think it hurts the student body. And it's, it's really hard at a lot of institutions, major state institutions, for the average student athlete to just be one of the, one of the, the gang, one of the people on campus. It's a kitty process too. Like think about life in general, like existence itself. Look at the law. Once a kid makes 18, technically the parent by law doesn't have to take care of the kid anymore. The kid right. has to go get its own. The young man or lady has to go get their own job. Women are considered to be grown women at 18. Men are considered to be grown men at 21, right? So this whole process is very kiddie-like. You know, hey, you can't get that. You can't make money doing that. I don't do that. And it's not the reality to most of the kids, most of the product. Right, because these guys have children. I know one of my, a couple of my teammates had children already. They were mm-hmm. 18, 19 years old and had little daughters and sons. That wasn't my story at the time, but for, for them, that was there. So the, what they're gonna have to do something. Luckily, one of my teammates, his his siblings had a little money, so he was able to go to school and you know still not have to stress as bad over not being able to take care of his kids. You know, so that. You're you're grown grown up after high school. When you graduate and get that diploma, everyone has a choice. Some folks go to the military. Some folks are blessed to be profess. I mean, um, amateur athletes and get scholarships. Some go right into the workforce. Like, hey, I, you know, I could go work somewhere right now, make eighteen an hour, and pick up that trade or that skill. So, it's about choices. Yeah. What would be the difference to me? You know, if I take that stu- that student athlete. People talk about their educational value is a hundred and something thousand dollars a year, whatever. Okay, give me that as a check. Give me that as my check. Break that over the twelve months of the school of the year, and break that hundred something grand that that you say is my value each year that you t- put out in cost. Give me that check, and then in the summertime, if I want to choose the classes, I pay for my classes that I take. You do that, that money that they say they invest. Now let's see where that money is for every one of those scholarships for those sports, because now we're changing the thing. We're not talking about Title IX. We're talking about professionalizing football and basketball, because those are the two revenue sports that everybody talks about. So professionalizing football and basketball, and it's still it's, it would just be considered like a semi Pro league is you would have still that variance. It's not NFL quality football, and it's not for those guys who don't want to do it. But it's for those people. If you want to have the college experience, and that money would still be out there, you telling me that you couldn't split that that just that make that the baseline cost, and that seems to me whatever it is that you that it costs for that student to attend, that's their salary. 
everybody gets the same thing. That's that salary. And then you can, if you want to invest some of that money so that money grows, you could do that too. See, it's, these are the things, it, everything else just really enables you. I'm going to just keep it a buck with you. My rookie year, all right, I was okay. I was okay. See, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, really almost in the 17. Boy, that's what some, those were some struggle years. Mm-hmm. Good times, growth, experience through the roof. Like, I'm, I'm actually living my dreams out, right? You living your dreams out. This stuff we love to do. So to call high school football's games out the dump was a blessing. To still be working with LSU and started with LSU was a blessing. To have a podcast, to be on the radio and on television, all of that stuff. But those are some struggle years. Imagine if, like, to your point, we could have picked up those skills freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. So now by the time you come out college, all those springs and summers you were working on that craft, you know, but instead it's, it's, it's you know, you got to go get this degree and which is cool. Again, me and my, my wife and has a yeah, two-lane One of us speaking against college. I'm not talking speaking against education at all, but all right. I'm just saying fix the system because they're not getting the education. We see that the graduation <laughs> right, rates right. are showing that they're not. And even the ones who graduate are coming up with subpar educations more right. often than not. So if your degree has no value, getting a degree means nothing. True, true. I'm, man, that, that's – bro, we talk – that's crazy. We used to have these conversations all the time as student-athletes. Like, man, they making all – like, one of the biggest insults to injury – and, again, it wasn't – I know it wasn't intentionally done to say, hey, athletes, guess what? Screw you. But when they spent $4 million on Mike's Habitat and we saw it, like, okay, can I – I mean, maybe y'all can spend maybe two million, and like, like all athletes spit spit a mint two million. Like, let's, you know, like I was kind of like, what does Mike have to get all of that? Like, you know, what I'm saying it's just then they invested in the education side, student athlete. You know, we got the twenty million dollar uh, facility, right? Which again, I learned so much in that facility. Said in so many different seminars, had some of the best help you could have possibly asked for. I'm not capping. But you know, I was, you know, we could have had a small, a tad bit small bill, maybe, you know, to go back to the student athlete. I don't know. You're right, bro. This, that's a, that's a, that is like a two part documentary right there on, uh, that, that this subject. Here, boy, we go all day on this one for real. Think about it, man. Think about it. Like, yeah, we're gonna have to go in on this a whole other time because I, I really think that it would, if college football went to that, it would save major college football because I think there are enough things that are coming down the pike that are going to be a real threat and the NCAA is not going to be able to handle those threats and to adjust for the 21st century you better get ahead of this curve because these these kids are not getting dumber this this is minor league sports right here this is footballs and basketballs minor leagues think about baseball structure we from here, you're going to get drafted to the NFL. So if you're that good, you'll make the millions. But at least have an opportunity to make five figures, six figures a year. If you were getting paid $50,000 a year at 18 years old for four or five years, depending on how long you're on campus, tell me that's not a good start to your life. That's tell a, me a, that's, at 18, just yes. even 50 grand 
and having the protections, the health insurance protections, having the ability to still go to school on your terms so that you're not, like you said, not changing that person's focus. You take away those concerns about their kid because 50 grand is enough for a couple guys just like they would now. Bunch of dudes get together, get their own apartment together, save money. You know what I'm saying? You teach them about that. Hey, Y'all live together. Hey, budget your groceries. We're going to teach you all these things, life skills, because now you're an employee, and I can spend that time doing this, and I can have you in this spot. And now, in the summers, though, you're going to still work out. You're still going to train in the summer, work out, but you're going to class online your way during the summer, and you're getting your degree program the way it's tailored to you and your needs during the summer, and you have no pressure to be thinking about, I'm getting this and none, none of that. You're an employee, man. It's all taken care of, and you can still get an education, and everybody still get football on Saturdays, and you still get those people who want to play for state you but don't want to be exploited. They still got to – everybody feels good about it, and it's just you stop the pretense because it stops the under the table. It's, it ain't, I mean, it ain't going to stop the under the table payments, but then it's not who cares because, you know what I'm saying, because now it's a job. And ain't but so many positions on every campus anyway. Ain't but so much money to give out on every campus anyway. So if it was that's the case, you can't pay more than what the scholarship value is at the university. It and is what it is. you're rolling them out, too. And you're rolling them out. Think and it is it. what it is. There is no pay raise. You might Maybe you increase it based on, like, oh, you got a varsity letter. It kicks up this much percent or whatever. But you don't incentivize yards or nothing like that. That's not what you're trying to do. But what you try to do is – I'm controlling that cost. If freshmen get paid one amount, sophomores, junior, senior, those things fine too, whatever. But I'm not paying for all American things because I'm trying to keep it flat and have nobody complain. You know what I'm saying? Be like, yeah, like hey. your freshman year, you may only make 35K. Then your sophomore year, you make 45K. Then your, your junior year, 55. And your senior year, depending on how, you know, one. Yeah, make it because you, you, it's You're incentivizing a, it's a, me to stay. Because you're going to pay me more to stay. And if I'm – even if that NFL contract is millions, if I'm still getting paid my 50 grand or, like, I guess 50 or whatever by it is by the time I'm a senior, whatever, and I'm still getting paid that and I still have all my coverage and all those things and I'm protected, if I really want to be in school, at least then I can say, well, I'm not going to be broke. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be starving next year. Uh-huh. But if you want to go, you can go, and you should be able to go. There shouldn't be this thing where, like, if you don't – no. If they want to go, let them go. And if they want to transfer, let them transfer. It's a job. It's a job. Because everybody else gets to treat it like a job. So let them treat it like a job. And I think they'll be better off for it. I think players would end up being more responsible for it. Because if you bring them in in that situation at 18 and now it is a literal job, who you think are you – are you going to have a problem with people not showing up to work? When you got to really look, punch in – on time is overall because now the you get product fired. It's gonna be better. The product is already good. You do this, the product will be great. Because now, if a guy knows he can get fired, <laughs> it's different than saying, I'm gonna take your scholarship away to be like, You're fired, you got <laughs> fired for not showing up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a whole different right, thing, yeah. it's yeah. a whole different thing, and I think that you get. It, I think it'll teach coaches to be better, too, because now you got to treat a man with his rights. you got to give him his respect. You can't treat him like he's your child. you got to treat him like a grown man, like you were your staff, 
and get the best out of your players the same way you get the best out of your staff. You ain't kicking them in the ass and dragging them around by their faces. You, you inspire people and you teach them. And yes, accountability sometimes is rough, but you ain't going to be degrading these kids no more because now right. I got a job and I got protection. You ain't going to be out here calling me nigga and then saying it's an, I got to apologize for it and keep my job. No, that ain't going to happen no more in these locker rooms. Not around these parts no more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, would, I think it would be something that would just be something huge and, and groundbreaking um, in college sports. And I think it would, it would change the whole dynamic of it. And we um, say the first here on Hard in the Paint, baby. That's right. Um, <laughs> before I let you go, Coach O was on um, game day this weekend. And he talked about his experiences with the football team and learning more about um, social uh, injustice. But there was one thing that kind of hit me badly, and I know it hit a few other people the same way. He said, racism, like Coach said, racism got to go. We got to get it up out of here. And then LSU did a tweet that used racism got to go and put the G-E-A-U-X spelling. And a lot of people like me felt like, I get where Coach is coming from. I don't think he's a bad person at all. We've had these conversations before. But it struck me as tone deaf. This is not something that we could just – it's not the end of a party. It's not playing – Mississippi State. It's not something that is a pep rally. This is something that's very serious, and it needs to be treated with the seriousness that we are talking about. This is not a campaign in that regard. It's not something that you could put a bumper sticker for. This is literally our lives and deaths that we are talking about, and I just felt like in that moment, LSU and Coach O could have done better. Yeah, it's I, I think what's going on with this whole little era everybody's trying to figure out how to address it. And I think the best way to address it is to talk to us more and then bring more of us to the front to talk about these issues. Because I, I have a personal relationship with Coach O. That's my boy, man. I've never, to me, that man don't have a racist bone in his body, right? And I think what happened, it's two things. You know, I, I saw a lot of people saying he's talking out two sides of his mouth. And I'm not saying any of this to defend Ed Ozer or anything like that. But what I'm seeing is, okay, this man won a national championship. He gave his players an experience to go to the White House, right? Now, keep in mind the trip to the White House and how everything went down. And LSU was just excited to be there. You know what I'm saying? Who's in there some of them. Up. You saw some pictures. Some, there was cat. They was happy to be national champs. That, it was all about was the that national champ. Yeah. The yeah. visit to the White House wasn't really because, to be honest with you, when we went, it was just kind of all right, cool. We had the White House. It was more of an experience as opposed to like, oh, let's be here, let's meet the folks who work here. And I was straight on that, and you could tell they were straight on that too. But you know, Coach Ed Ogeron had his comment said Trump's. A, he said something about him being great or something or did I. He's just kind of like <laughs> the positioning for somebody like Ed Ozeron is very, very unique because um, although, again, not to get into politics, but at the very end of the day, this state is whatever it is, right? It, but when the egg boils for those two hours, you know, it's a purple state. Everybody rock with LSU from the hood to your corporate. And that's the beautiful thing. And that's his safe place. Right. That's Coach Ed Ogeron's safe place right there. Outside of that, he's like everybody else trying to figure it out. But 
again, the best way to figure out, come holler at your people because we're going to give you the real. I know the difference between when I was an LSU player, right? Now, I, I continue to protect myself and evolve and stay relevant with all that good stuff, right? But it was some time people didn't really know who I was. And I know that how uncomfortable the experience was. Or when I go in the bank or 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 when I go in the bank and I can't even get um the same opportunities as my counterparts. I have a small business. I've been in small business for years. You know, I talk to my advisors about, hey man, what's up? Man, you can't go to the bank. So why? Man, how many houses you own? None. That's why you can't go to the bank. You have no collateral to put up, right? Just stuff like that. And when you start thinking of all of that, when you try to get back to who you were at LSU, it's much harder. And then it's always just, oh, y'all just so lazy. Y'all need to just, y'all just want to play football. Or, you know, oh, y'all can't, I don't know why they he ain't taking advantage of his degree and this and that and it's all this, which y'all didn't do as opposed to the point you were making while our conversation started. Uh, before we started talking about the Ed Ogeron thing, stuff to help. And so that's the real conversation. And th those coaches don't right, – right now it's a thin ice time. Like some people are just afraid to respond because they're, they're afraid to speak their truth. And I, I, but I think, the, I think the thing that you said that is so important is you have to have black folks in the room. And I think somebody should have talked with Coach O before he went on to television and somebody should have been in that social media office to say – that ain't it. This is not the tone you want to hit. It's not a rally. It's not a rally. That's not what we need here. We need people to understand that this is serious, that this is not a game. This is not LSU versus Mississippi State. This is, this is life and death. And that's the thing. It's like I don't want us to ever lose sight of how serious these issues are. This is not a discussion. This is not a philosophical issue. It is a real tangible life and death, death issue for people in this country. And um, that's the thing. It's like learning is a process. We all learn it. And I'm supposed to learn something new every day. Uh, and so are you. And if you don't, you know, you, you're dying when you're not learning. You're not growing. Um, so I think Coach O is trying to learn. But I would also see, uh, like to see LSU do more than say we're going to have leadership councils and talks. No, 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 no. We got to keep figuring out real, tangible things to help bring these things down, to identify what the issues are and empower students to understand what they can do to change them. Because simply having the conversation, the players know what the issues are. The players know in their communities what ain't right. You know what I'm saying? So for them, what they're doing is educating other people. Somebody's got to help the players with resources. Somebody's got to talk to primarily. Sometimes there have to be conversations where the black players ain't even there. And it's got to be amongst the white players to have these conversations and say, what are you doing? Are you in on this or not? Because I think, it, you know, people use this thing and say, well, the locker room is a racism free place. And you and I both know that's not true. You may, may not say stuff and you got a common goal just like at any other job. So you don't go around saying stuff at your job to piss people off that you work with, but there's racism in a locker room just like any other workplace. Yeah, it's a bit different in the locker room. I know when my five years at LSU and just bouncing around the league, as opposed to racism, it's probably more socialism, um, if I'm saying that correctly, because Classes, social it's class. a cl classism, not social, classism. It's more of a class thing, right? So 
you it was this like most of the time your white players hang with your white players or your black players hang with your black players but we all hang together at team functions in different ways so you know me and Jacob has to in college wouldn't go and hang out so he wouldn't come into none of the parties with me you know what I'm saying and I wouldn't go into all the parties now we would see them out at like a bogeys or a reggies or something like that but we ain't click tight class you know it's not even a lot of times about race in the locker room uh, but it does exist now the cold shoulder or the blind eye happened a lot yes. and that's I have an issue with that in this time too back then we just we just said okay you know but at, at the very end of the day it's all what I don't like is the stigma the okay he he didn't do what he was supposed to do when he left LSU so he messed it up and it no, it was it was a misguidance. It was a misunderstanding. You know, when he was at LSU, and I'm saying he is a general person. When 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 he was at LSU, he was catered to. He didn't um, because the the way the he was a product. Up, he was not a student. He was, a product. He was not right. a student. He was a product. He, he he was a product. So of course he's not because now he's trying to put together the pieces. Oh, I should have. You know how many guys I talked to. That finished school at L. I mean, that didn't finish school at LSU. Oh man, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back. They never really go back. They never go. It's probably like it's probably a handful of guys out of my class that actually went back. I know when and people, never but really people don't know. Back. I mean, and people who, who right now will say, "Well, that's on them." It's hard for Americans in general. Like the longer you are away from school, the harder it is to go back. You start getting anxiety and fears about re-entering a classroom situation that you're not going to be prepared. So it's not just an athlete issue, you know, but I think it's doubly boosted by the fact that a lot of those athletes came into this situation, come into the collegiate situation, having not been prepared for the college environment first and foremost on its own. If your parents didn't go to college, if they don't understand business management, if they don't understand what you should be taking advantage of because the coaching staff is telling them, hey, we got him registered for class and he's good to go, and they don't know what moving advancement to a major is. They don't know what, what majors pay out the most because they're under the belief that my baby's going to make it, but nobody's telling them that your baby might not and is going to need these things. That part of it, that, ne that necessity of these schools to keep the, the athlete pool going, that that is a big part of that and why those kids leave school without the necessary skills. This is true, my friend. <laughs> and that's why we got to fix this, man. We got to fix it. We got to fix it. And I think, I, you know, back to the Coach O thing, I, again, I don't think either one of us believes that he is a bigot, but I think he has learning to do just like us all. And I think he just needs to have, I, I hope, and we know Verge Osbury is, is going to be a good voice in that um, athletic building, uh, the, part, the athletic department to continue to educate at that level. Um, but I, I hope he gets listened to in that regard at this point, just to continue to, to get LSU on the right message and to understand that it's not just enough to be, to be um, not racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be anti-racist. We have to get rid of this thing that's been around for 600 years that never helped anyone out. No. Um, and, and, and I'm glad it, it's coming to a head and, and, and pop people who are using this method is being called out. Yes, everyone has a freedom of speech, but it's a respect that we're trying to grow here. We, we're, we're trying to head in the right direction. So I, I just again, it's not just 
what I the message on this piece and when I use the word equality is not just about stop the police brutality, it's not just about stop the racism, the deep rooted racism, but it's also change these systems, change this the, the, the class uh system, change the way the bank works, change the way um, you know, information is shared, entrepreneurship, opportunity. Um change that that that's that that would be a good start and then we would be who we say we are and this great sport of football that i love so much is played in the united states of america not just the not just the uh class of america you know okay you just we all supposed to be united as one so right you said it all um tell them how they can um follow you on social media and what you got working uh, I know you you still got multiple projects swinging, and uh, now with the NFL season going, it's really going to pick up. Yeah, I, I'm thankful about that. It's picking up, y'all. Y'all just go to my Twitter, at BigFade504. Uh, I just dropped a brand-new episode of Inside the Trenches. I did a one-on-one interview with Yusama Young. He works with the player engagement. We talked about some of the stuff me and Dave talked about, y'all, today, uh, uh, social injustice in, in America. Um, we talked about this 2020 football season and with him working with the league office, some of the things that, that they have done protocols that they put in order for the players to play and make it uh, a safer environment. So it's a really good list and y'all check it out. You can click on the link in my bio on my Twitter at big 504, or you can go wherever there's podcast. Uh, if you just, it's even on your phone. You go right to your little pap. If you got an iPhone on the podcast, they click on it inside the trench with Marlon favorite. All right, man. Um, so for Big Fave 504, Marlon Fave Right, I am David Grubb. Make sure you follow me at DM Grubb on Twitter or Instagram and visit my website, hitpwithdg.com. There's links to the store, and you can also go to Redbubble and get some other gear there too, if you like. So until the next time, this has been Hard to Bend.